Now, it's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard, Certified Practicing Accountant and Financial Advisor. Good afternoon to you, Stephen. Uh, a big program today on Thursday Finance. A big program today. We've got uh, currencies and commodities and we've got the market roundup and then we're going to have Roger Montgomery talking about approaching investing in the stock market with the mind of a business owner. Some of the uh, uppings and downings with the currency and commodities markets. Um, it's a bit all over the place this week. So um, the gold price was was down seventeen dollars seventy five an ounce to eight hundred and twenty five dollars and seventy six in Australian dollars. Uh, the copper price was up one hundred and seventy dollars and ten cents an ounce to nine thousand two hundred and forty three, and the crude oil price was up seventy seven cents a barrel to ninety three. Point two six ninety three dollars and twenty six cents. Uh, the Australian currency um, was lots of reading there. More expensive imports, more expensive to travel overseas. Um, so the we're down against the US dollar to a seventy seventy point three two US cents. So we're down about sixty two cents in last week. Against the Great British Pound, we're down to fifty three point three nine pence. So it's down about ten p on last week. And the and the Euro, we're down to 62.19 euro cents, which is down about 0.4%. So the Australian dollar continues to fall against all the major currencies around the world. Do we think that that's going to change or the trade's going to continue oh, to trend down? Oh, I think, you know, we've got to resolve what's happening with the coal exports in China. Um, there was some bad trade figures that came out um, yesterday or the day before. So, um, you know see what happens uh the old ordinary the all the australian share market didn't take much notice of that though but um, we're up 74.1 on the week to um 6326 uh the s&p 500 was down 13 points to 2771 the uk FTSE index was up 121 point 121.3 i mean despite all the gloom and doom about bricks the, the uk market continues to go up Seven thousand one hundred and ninety-six. So, so why do you think that there is that sort of thing happening then? Why? Uh, I think the press might be misreporting stuff. Okay. Fair I point. don't know the media. I mean, the market's saying one thing, and the media's saying saying preaching doom and gloom. But the the the, the share market. The share market's not reacting that way. Yeah, the, the confidence there seems to be high. Yeah, the share market seems to be continuing to, you know, not not booming with upwards, but it's not going, it's it's drifting up, it's not going down. So if all this doom and gloom was going to occur in, what, 20-something days now? And it obviously hasn't happened. Yeah, well, the exit's not, yeah, but the exit's the end of March, so you would expect the market would start to react if if that was what was going to happen. And um, the Nikkei was uh, 21,596, which was up 211.7 points. Um, some local stocks, or stocks local investors like, um, BHP was up 39 cents to $37.62. Uh, CBA was up 80 cents to $74.75, which is... Uh, I think that's probably a year for the, the the calendar year. It's probably a high for the calendar year for CBA. Uh, uh, and uh, NIB was five dollars eighty eight, which was up eleven cents. And Telstra was up five cents to three dollars eighteen. So, uh, like you said, a bit all over the place. And you know, that's mixed not, a, not a year high for Telstra though. Um, and the petrol price in Newcastle, dollar uh, thirty six point two, which was up one point. 
1.70 cents and the price in Sydney was $1.31 which was down 6.6 cents and the diesel price was $1.47 a litre in Newcastle and $1.44 in Sydney. Harvey Norman's uh, profits. Yeah, Harvey Norman's profits came out uh, on Friday, which is a bit of a surprise to what everyone was expecting. The profit was actually up to $222.8 million compared to $207.7 million in the previous half year. Um, and the interesting thing about this is that... Uh, Harvey Norman's attributed the increase in profit to increased contribution from their overseas stores. So what's what's pro- probably not commonly known is Harvey Norman's building an international worker and they're, they're talking about that they can see in the future that 50% of their earnings are going to come from overseas. Well, it's a, it's a massive market, the rest it's of the world, isn't it? Mark, yeah. And he has been pushing some stores over there recently. Yeah, and uh, there's talk about Singapore, Malaysia, Slovenia. And of course, he was on television last night, all doom and gloom, about the, 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 the number of traffic people going through the stores falling or something. But, yeah, retail's generally perceived not to be in good shape in Australia. Fair enough. Uh, so we, anyway, he's done, he's done all right, though. He's done all right for the half year, despite all the critics, the record, and new, yeah. Maybe he's just playing the underdog card uh, last night. Um, Ian's group, which is the the chicken the chicken people, so their profit was up eighty four point four to eighty four point four million, and uh, compared to sixty five point seven, um, they've said the barbecue chicken wars are coming to an end. I didn't know that. Well, we no, were neither did I. Apparently, Coles and Woolworths are competing to see oh. who can see who can offer to the, the, the cheapest chill. Cheapest chill, and they're putting that down to that since January, the cost of poultry feeds increasing because of the drought-induced grain storage. So they're having to put up their price to pass that on, and so there'll be no no more nine ninety-nine chooks. I think. And again, I wasn't aware that we're in the middle. Yeah, of the well, war. apparently we are. But anyhow. Um, um, and the poor retail food groups. So retail food groups had a few problems. It's uh, the franchising company. There's been talk about overcharging on franchise fees and um, problems with the accounting records. And, and you know, it's got brands like um, Michelle's Patisserie, uh, um, Gloria Jeans and Brumbies. And uh, so it's recorded a loss of $111 million for the half year compared to $87.8 million last year half year. So what are they putting that down to? I know whenever you hear the term fr- franchising, a lot of people can get a bit nervous but what's Well, the, to me, there seems to be a lot of their, their, their outlets closing and the outlets mm. blaming too high a franchise fees. I mean, uh, I've noticed in Beaumont Street that the Gloria Jeans has closed and then shortly after the, the Brumby's Bakery's closed. So, yeah, which is surprising because you know, Brumby's used to do a roaring trade there. Anyhow, they're, they're having to cut costs and sell assets to keep the banks at bay. They 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 claim never good yeah but if the stores keep closing there won't be any well, what else do you do I suppose but you that's do right. something I mean they need probably need to look at cutting the franchise fees I'd suggest um, Ramsey Healthcare um, the private hospital operator uh, its profits increased to uh, two hundred and seventy million compared to two hundred and forty six million in the private um, you know the largest private hospital operator in Australia. They're also in um, France, which has had some problems because the government controls what they can charge over there, and in the UK, which I didn't, 
and I didn't didn't realise they had also had some hospitals in the UK. So um, their profit uh, was up, and they've increased their interim dividend from fifty seven half cents to sixty cents a share. So if they're in, like you said, France or the UK, and there are more regulations around what they can charge, in that, France apparently, yeah, yeah, that's really um, I'm just say hurting. That's the wrong word, but it, it's sort of limiting how much they're limiting they can their really profit make. growth. Yeah, so the only way they can get the profit up there if they their revenue is fixed they've got to make their hospitals more efficient um and, and it's going to be interesting to see you know if the labor government comes in and caps the the private health insurance premiums like they're talking about um the pressure is going to have to be felt on the private hospitals because mm. apart from the two private health insurers um the the for-profit private ones medibank and uh, nib the majority of the majority of private health insurers work on a break-even basis so so you know they collect the premiums in they pay a bit it appears to be around 10 percent running cost and the rest gets paid out to members so um the only way if you're going to cap the revenue you have to either cut back your benefits or somehow cut back your benefits yeah yeah which yeah. Uh, that has a flow-on effect of people pulling out or going somewhere else yeah um, well that's right what about Reese? So they've had uh, some tougher times too. Profit falling a little bit. Uh, Reese, Reese's profit fell, but that's only because of the acquisition they made in the the U, in the US. They they built a big plumbing supply business in the US. It cost them twenty nine point nine million in acquisition costs, um, which they've had to write off in the half year. So if you if you add back the acquisition costs to the ninety seven point seven, Reese's profit really is about one hundred twenty million which um, is probably up 20% on the half year. So remains to be seen about what happens with the US businesses. A lot, a lot of Australian companies have gone over to the US thinking it's very similar to Australia. It ain't. And ain't. <laughs> and a lot of the UK, US companies like um, Lowe's came over with Masters here and thought that was going to be similar, and it wasn't either. And so. we know what happened to the big blue stores. Yes. Yeah, they've become big green stores, some of them. Some yeah. of them did. Yeah. And, and a few other uh, changes in and around the marketplace, yeah, particularly with NAB. They've got the a new NAB, face. NAB, the new chairman's come in. Well, he's not actually a new face. Peter Corrington's been on the board for a while, um, probably, I don't know, 18 months. So he can't really be blamed for all the problems. Um, he, he was back at Westpac previously when Bob Joss was straining Westpac out. And he was supposedly second in line to become the chairman of Westpac, uh, the MD of Westpac after Henry, but Gail Kelly got the job. Um, so anyhow, so he's been on the on the NAB board. After after the CEO went, the the board asked him to step in as the managing director. So he's, he took over last week on a temporary position, um, and now he's been named as chairman to replace Ken Henry. So I, I think that's probably a good move, and the, the share price was up a bit this morning. So, so. Well, well, they think it's a good move for sure, and obviously someone that's been in the sector for quite a while too. Yeah, and he gave a speech to the on the first day he took over. He cancelled all the the executive junkets and said, "We haven't got time for this." We've all of a sudden, to... the people that have put him in are like, "Well, we got to shut this boy down." Uh, well, yeah. So I think that's probably. We'll see what happens there. But, but what, what, having said that, though, I mean, what's the average pay for someone at that executive level anyway? Well, he's only getting um, when I say he's only getting a hundred and hundred thousand a month or something. I'd do it for which, that. Yeah, which is about I think it's about one point two, one point four million or something. But mm. but bear in mind, Thornburg was getting four million. Yeah, a bit different. It's a bit, it's a bit different. different, and he he's coming to clean up some of the mess. So you'd expect he's good. So you know, you might have a genuine person there. 
Fair enough, okay. So yeah, he's going to take over as chairman. It's probably all going to be a while, I, I imagine. But, um, and uh, and finally, uh, Maya. Maya, um, Maya the, the store that the Solomon Liu, uh, um, Solomon Liu claims is the store that sells stuff that no one wants to buy. Um, a surprising result there. The profit rose 3.1% to 41.3 million. So well, a few people are buying some stuff then. A few people are buying some stuff at Maya. Which mm. is, and they're running some new advertising campaigns. They kind of look good, but I don't know that Maya's my store thing. I, I don't quite know what they're trying to say. But anyhow, the, ad, the, ad, the ads look good. That's good. Well, at least they're doing their part. Once you're yep. in the store, you've got they've got to do the rest. They've got to get you in the store first. Yeah. All righty, we'll come back and have a little bit more of Thursday finance and your guest coming up too, Stephen. Yeah, we've got Roger Montgomery. Um, he's the chief investment officer of Montgomery Investment Management, and he's going to talk about uh, approaching investing in the stock market with, with, with the mind of a business owner. Roger Montgomery. Good afternoon. Oh, Roger, good how are you? Good. We're good, Roger. How's the weather down there in Sydney? It's uh, much cooler than it was yesterday, about same, 10 degrees cooler. Same here. It's a bit wet outside here. So today I thought we'd talk about um, um, investing in the stock market by approaching it as a, as a business owner, which I understand what, 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 what your firm basically does. So what, what does all that mean and how do you go about doing that? Well, well there's, a, there's two approaches to the stock market. One is to treat it uh, as a place where you bet on the ups and downs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a little bit the same as betting on black or red at the casino. Um, and the alternative approach is is not to worry about any of that, but to just realise that shares are a piece of a business. And over time, there's a, a very systematic way that businesses can increase in value. Uh, and I'll talk about how they do that in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, and then by ignoring the market and treating treating shares as a piece of a business, you're actually not only going to probably generate better returns over the long run, but you'll actually remove a lot of the emotion that's involved with poor decision-making as it relates to the stock market. So the way a business actually... On the other thing that it does, I should add, um, is that you no longer think about stocks in terms of large cap, small cap or mid cap or micro cap, mm -hmm. you're just interested in high quality businesses. Mm -hmm. So high quality businesses are, um, are those that can increase in value over a long period of time and the way that they do that uh, is they retain profit uh, and they generate returns on that profit increase in their equity balance. So if you imagine a bank account with, let's say, $10 million in it generating a 20% interest rate, which, of course, is a very attractive bank account. And, and that's our... Think of that as our sort of metaphor for a, a business with $10 million of equity on its balance sheet earning a 20% return on that equity. And there's no shortage of businesses in Australia that generate those kinds of returns. We'll go back to the bank account for a second. So it's got uh, $10 million in it, throwing off $2 million of interest each year. If the business can... If the bank account can retain that $2 million every year and generate another 20% return on that incremental capital, well, it'll grow very quickly. Its profits will grow at the rate of the return on equity, so its profits will grow at 20%, and its equity will grow at 20% per year. So if I wanted to sell that particular bank account, I could probably sell it today for $40 million, even though it's only got $10 million in it, 
I could probably sell that for 40. And the reason why is because there would be someone that would be happy with a 5% return. And if I pay $40 million, the $2 million of interest is equivalent to 5%. If I, so if I could sell that today or buy that today for $40 million, if I change the numbers, and instead of having $10 million in the bank account, we have uh, $100 million in the bank account, then presumably I could sell that bank account for $400 million if someone was happy with a 5% return. So if I can find a business with $10 million of equity growing to $100 million of equity while maintaining a 20% return on that equity, and I can buy that for $40 million, well, at some date in the future, I'll be able to sell it for 10 times as much for $400 million. And, and that's a high-quality business, and that's what we want to buy, those sorts of businesses. And the point being that we don't need to worry about Trump although you know we may need to worry about Trump, we don't need to worry about sort of those macroeconomic and geopolitical issues that often petrify investors um, and and you know cause lots of distraction. We can just focus on building a portfolio of outstanding businesses, those high quality businesses. And yes, the share price will go up and down over time, but in the long run, the share price can't help but reflect the underlying performance of that business. It's increasing value comes from the fact that its equity has gone up and it's still maintaining a high rate of return on that equity, which is very desirable and people want to buy it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a bit like the Berkshire Hathaway uh, uh, view of the world to me. Well, Berkshire owns airlines now and um, uh, we were actually, we short sold uh, Kraft, Heinz Kraft, and they bought Heinz Kraft. So, so I think our view is probably a little bit different now, um, but it's 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 certainly very similar to the you know the Berkshire Hathaway of old, you know, owning high yep. quality businesses for the long term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 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 how do you go about finding these businesses? Well, we have a we have a number of ways of doing that. Um, we built a quantitative model that screens all the companies uh, and their data. For ev- after every announcement that those companies make to see if anything's being highlighted that meets our general criteria. And then if it, if it meets that general criteria, it'll be thrown up uh, on, a, um, on a report for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll allocate that to an analyst to go and do the work. And it may be that the analyst cans it and says, no, look, I've, I've looked into this more deeply. The model's not taking this into account or that into account. Um, uh, so it won't it won't go any further. But there are occasions where it, it throws up an idea that we don't like, but by delving into that idea, we then look at some other things. It causes us to go and investigate a customer or goes in, we go and investigate a supplier. And, and that's something that we then discover actually has merit. So so we've got a model that, that throws up lots of opportunities for us to look at and then running down that rabbit warren, if you like, um, can throw off other opportunities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, so how, how do we work out what price we're going to, you know, we talked about the 10 million, how do we work out that we're going to pay 40 million or, or, or 50 million or 60 million or whatever? Yeah, I, I wrote, it's, it's not easy to get this across on radio, but I wrote, a, um, I wrote a book on this subject called Valuable some years ago um, and I put the formula in that book in a table for how to do it. Um, but essentially, it's 
in essence, it's the return on the formula is a, it's a it's a called an excess return model, and it's the return on equity divided by the required return multiplied by the equity per share. So in the example that I gave you of the bank account earlier, the return on equity was 20%. If my required return was 5%, 20 divided by 5 is 4, and it had $10 million of equity, 4 times 10 was 40. And so that's, <clears throat> if my required return is 5%, that's how I work out that I'd want to pay 40. But that's only, that formula only applies, <clears throat> pardon me, only applies when all of the earnings are being paid out as a dividend. The multiple is higher when the company can compound its retained earnings and, and grow again next year. Stephen Pritchard is here along with Roger Montgomery with his idea of approaching investing in the stock market with the mind of a business owner. So some of these these investments that we've talked about, they're compounding their, their earnings. Have we got a, a couple of examples of those we could talk about? Oh, absolutely. There's no shortage in Australia because in Australia we have... Um, we have a tendency towards two major players. Um, uh, if you think about supermarkets or airlines, for example, um, or, you know, we end up with duopolies, uh, monopolies or oligopolies in Australia. And, and, and those, <clears throat> when, when uh, industry conditions are such that you end up with just a few players, they have the ability to pass on uh, cost increases, for example, in the form of higher prices, or they can just, ratchet up prices to generate higher profits mm-hmm. so so we have a lot of those in australia but but in you know, companies that come to mind immediately uh that that have actually performed the way i described are companies like arb uh the aftermarket four-wheel drive parts supplier uh reef plumbing uh is another classic example uh in the larger in, sorry continuing in the sort of smaller cap area Companies like uh, Reliance Worldwide or IDP Education, um, uh, in the larger cap space, CSL, Cochlear, even the banks, although they they tend to be more economically sensitive, so they tend to go through cycles. Although people have forgotten that banks have a cycle, um, they they're about to enter one. Um, a downward uh, one or an upward one? Yeah, I think I think a down I think a downward one. Um, we're going to see a, a, a very, very sharp uh, fall in um, building activity mm-hmm. uh, and consequently that's going to put some pressure on the income that's being earned by tradies, particularly carpenters and plumbers and electricians. Mm-hmm. Uh, con- the construction industry is the third largest employer in Australia and so um, you know, that's going to put some pressure on incomes and consequently they're going to be spending less at the shops uh, and the retail industry is the <clears throat> the second largest employer in the country. So, uh, you know, I think we might have seen peak employment uh, and that's going to make it difficult for people to pay back their mortgages, which will put pressure on um, the uh, non-performing loans of banks and also on their credit growth, so their ability to grow their mortgage book will slow down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so that's a, you know, that's a group of companies that, have demonstrated the ability to retain profits and generate very attractive returns on that incremental capital. Um, <clears throat> companies that haven't been able to do that, believe it or not, um, <clears throat> have been in the mining space. So if you think about the ability to sustain very high rates of return on your money, um, if, you, if, you, if you're able to do that, you're going to attract competition. Um, and if you attract competition, the first thing a competitor does is reduce their prices 
and that brings down your profit margin and brings down your return. So if a company's been able to generate very high rates of return for a very long time, <clears throat> it must have something special that competitors can't replicate. An example of that uh, is probably REA Group in Australia that owns the realestate.com.au website. It might surprise people to know that there's about 80 websites in Australia that invite you to list your home for sale. Most of them allow you to do it for free. Uh, REA is the most expensive, and yet it is the most popular. So uh, even even with Domain sitting there as a sort of a, a second runner, uh, REA is head and shoulders above in terms of returns uh, and in terms of share price performance. Um, and so so you end up you end up with attracting competition, and and if you have something special that competitors can't replicate, um, you're able to raise prices. And so REA has been able to raise prices most years by a small amount and every second year by 10 or 15%. And, and that's the most valuable competitive advantage, the ability to raise prices. Um, if you think about BHP or Rio or uh, you know, uh, Santos, they're not able to raise prices for their product without a detrimental impact on their unit sales volume. Um, REA can raise prices even though there's an excess supply of uh, websites. If there's an excess supply of iron ore, then prices of iron ore go down. There's nothing BHP can do about it. Consequently, if you look at BHP, uh, its share price is where it was 12 years ago and its share price is where it was five years ago. Um, yes, it's rallied a lot since its recent lows of about $15, um, but it's only back to where it was five and 12 years ago. Uh, and that's because it doesn't have that ability to generate or raise prices in the face of excess supply, which is the most valuable competitive advantage of all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 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 how do you how do you determine which companies can do this? Well, you have a look at you have a look at a couple of things, but the the, the most obvious one is um, a track record of being able to do it. So, a demonstrated track record is probably the easiest guide that we've got to an ability to continue to do that in the future. But of course, the future could look very different from the past. And so what we look for is sort of stable industries. We want stable industry structures and we've got a bunch of criteria that we look at um, when we're looking at industry structure. Uh, and that tells us whether or not it's dynamic and volatile or whether it's fairly stable. If it's stable, supermarkets are a classic example of a stable industry structure, mm-hmm. um, then that could lend not always because obviously Aldi came in and changed the margins for supermarkets Um, but that could be an indicator that the high returns being generated by a business are more likely to continue than not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and of course the industry changes over time because because I remember that for for decades Fairfax had the so-called rules of gold and, and that all just evaporated which is why you've got to look forward and see how the industry is changing. And if it's still stable, then you can be fairly confident the returns are going to continue. Um, if it's not stable, if you see it changing, for example, you know, they, they're going to lose their rivers of gold and they're going to lose it to Seek, they're going to lose it to car sales, and they're going to lose it to REA Group, um, then that means that the industry structure is changing and the ability to generate those high returns is going to be uh, diminished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that would that would that would be an adverse outcome, and so you wouldn't be as optimistic about the future for that business. 
So not only do you have to do this maths, you also have to do some other uh, other research and, and, and form a view on, on the outlook for various industries, is what you're saying. Indeed, and it's really important for um, private investors um, to, to write down their thesis for investing in a company. Um, and then, because if they don't have that thesis written down, then when something is thrown at them out of left field, they don't have the framework, you don't have the framework to decide, well, has that changed my thesis or not? Because there's lots of things that happen to businesses in the short term, uh, but it doesn't change the long-term prospects for the business. The people react to that short-term stuff as if it was permanent. Uh, mm -hmm. that's, what we're, that's where we find the opportunity to buy good quality businesses cheap. And so what do you mean by a thesis? Uh, I'm sure most private investors wouldn't be doing this. Well, well it, it doesn't have to be very complicated. It can be simply, um, I'm buying this business because uh, its, um, its prospects for price rises are strong. And the reason I think that is because there isn't really a strong second competitor mm -hmm. in the marketplace. Um, and the runway for growth is very long because, it, for example, it's, it's, it's selling corrective eyewear to an ageing population. Right. Uh, and so its demand is not going to change. It's the only supplier, uh, so its prospects for raising prices isn't going to change. Uh, and that way, if something happens in the short term um, that affects that company, you know, it doesn't need guidance and the stock market um, pushes the share price down because the stock market thought profits were going to grow at 10%, but they're only going to grow at 7 um, well, that's a, you know that's not going to change your thesis, so you wouldn't sell out in so, that scenario. So basically, you're saying to to write a couple of lines of, of your original investment decision, so you can go back and reference that. That, that, that indeed, yeah, okay, okay, that all that all kind of makes good sense. And so, it's also a good discipline to you know to force you to answer the right questions about a company before investing in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's about time, Roger. So thank okay, thanks great. thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Always a pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Roger. Sounds pretty good. So great advice there, Stephen, from uh, Roger Montgomery. Just looking at everything a little bit different. That's the key, isn't it? Yes. And uh, that's pretty much uh, a wrap for us. Thursday finance uh, back next weekend. Back next week. You'll be out and about uh, on the weekend, maybe potentially uh, in uh, Hamilton as part of Carnivale. Well, I'll be out in Carnivale at the weekend. We'll yes. be dressed up as one of the. No, I won't be dressed up. No, I'll just have some jeans or shorts or something. I'll put down whatever the paddings are with the animals. I don't even get a two in your RFM shirt, so so. Do you like one? No. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be there in your two in your RFM shirt. I will be. I'll floating around. Yes. Okay. That's Thank right. you, Stephen. Thursday finance back next week. Thanks for listening. To this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.